Truth Espresso, episode 280. Were it not for the amazing grace of God, were it not for his compassion towards me. But in that case, I answered in that way, and I would not answer in any other way, no matter what anybody says. I said, well then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Hello and welcome to Truth Espresso. This is your host, Daniel Minnick. And if you've heard about that cold stuff going around, or if you've already had it, then yes, I am starting to battle it myself. My throat's a little bit sore as I record this, but I will do my best not to strain my voice. And in this episode, I thought I would throw my hat into the ring to address the controversy regarding Dr. Alistair Begg and some counsel that he gave a few months ago that has recently made waves on the internet. And of course, there are people who defend him and there are people who criticize them. And of course, there's a quite a broad spectrum when it comes to the level of criticism as well as the level of defense. And so I thought that I would record an episode that I would try to bring a little bit of balance to this issue without compromising doctrine or integrity, to try to help us to think clearly about these issues, to try to avoid the temptation to be a keyboard warrior and to puff oneself up when there seems to be someone of renown who can become the easy target of criticism. Because I also want us to understand that there are ways to be critical, but also to do so in a loving and respectful way, and also to recognize that when someone of the caliber and the pedigree and the blessing that uh, Alistair Begg has been to say something that can be worthy of criticism, it is not in the interests of Christians, especially those who have not done much for the Lord, to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Things like this should cause us to examine ourselves, and if we believe that it is in our interest to try to give our two cents into this, we should examine ourselves Those who are critics of Begg in this situation, and I'm going to say that I'm going to criticize him in this episode, but in a balanced and respectful way, if you're someone who is um, guilty of sin that you're not confessing, that you're not repenting of, but you're someone who politically speaking, puts yourself on one side of an aisle, and you're quick to criticize, beg of this, then I would say maybe you should keep your mouth shut. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as Dr. Begg actually did say in a a sermon recently, and take that to heart. And it's easy for people to jump on a bandwagon of criticizing someone for something legitimate and to be living in sin yourself. And so, yes, if you've got a beam in your eye, don't be criticizing someone who has a moat in his until you first pluck out the beam that's in your own eye. 
Okay, so what is this controversy we're talking about, and who is Alistair Begg? Well, Alistair Begg, if you've heard him speak, you will recognize a fine-tuned Scottish accent. Even though he has been preaching for decades in the United States, he still retained his delightful Scottish accent, and I think that seems to lend more authority Our Americans, we consider British, Scottish, Irish accents. It seems to carry this authority to the words that you speak. And so Dr. Alistair Begg is a very good orator. He is the senior pastor of Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, He has a wife named Susan. He has three children who are adults, and they're all married. And Dr. Begg has a total of eight grandchildren, so he does have a good legacy. He has three godly children, as far as I know. So he's a good family man. And I believe that he practices a lot of what he preaches. He's been an incredible blessing to many people. He has an amazing ministry, and I've listened to sermons of his on the radio, especially years ago. I would hear him as I would be driving to work. And so, yes, I'm someone who recognizes who he is. Dr. Begg, with his preaching ministry, his sermons will also be internationally syndicated on his uh, radio show, Truth for Life. And so, until September 1st, 2023, and especially as people have kind of drug out what he said in what the episode is called the Christian Manifesto Interview, He was being interviewed about his book called The Christian Manifesto. Dr. Begg has been someone who really doesn't seem to be a very controversial figure. He's very gentle-spoken. He has a passion for souls, and he's able to communicate in a way that is very loving He speaks solid doctrine, and he's able to speak it in a way that is soothing to the soul and challenging at the same time. Now, the Christian Manifesto interview on September 1st, 2023, toward the end of the interview, Dr. Begg said the following. Were it not for the amazing grace of God, were it not for his compassion towards me, And in very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, Mm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, 
critical, unprepared mm-hmm. to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really yeah. is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and, and don't understand that he is a king. So, Dr. Begg, this wasn't the whole topic of the interview. It was kind of something that came up as it was talking about ministry in relation to kind of how crazy this world has become and how people live in lifestyles that do not honor God. And Dr. Begg did clearly say that it's against God. And he's also talking about trying to talk with people and trying to win them to Christ. He was answering a question from a distraught grandmother who, I guess, her son was going to marry someone. Now, I don't know for sure what this transgender wedding meant. You know, we can only speculate. Was it her son marrying a woman who claims to be a man or was he marrying another man who's trying to look like and fill the role of what would otherwise be a bride? Uh, Who knows, but... Dr. Begg gave this grandmother advice for how to handle the situation because, you know, she's probably distraught, hoping that he would tell her something that she could say that could get her son not to follow through with this. But, however, he understood the request. Uh, He told her, as long as the son recognizes what her position is and that she doesn't affirm what he's doing here with this so-called transgender wedding that, okay, just so you don't appear to be like the way these rebellious people are when they rebel from Christianity or atheists and stuff, they can often have stereotypes of the way Christians will act because they're often thinking of Christianity and like as like this bigoted, hateful, political type thing. And so he tells them, your love for them may catch them off guard. Like if you say, as long as the son understands that you have a firm position against the so-called wedding, that it's not what you believe, that, hey, attend the wedding and get them a gift, and they might be taken off guard by this display of love. But if you don't attend, then it's like, yeah, of course, I know what Christian bigots do. You know, they're all the same. And once you don't live within the parameters that they expect you to, then, yeah, they're all the same. They're just, they can't participate. They can't, uh, you know, they cut you off and all this stuff. So his advice was your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything, unquote. So that was uh, Begg's advice to this grandmother, like go ahead and attend the event and also get a gift and that somehow this act of unexpected love might be the means by which your wayward son will consider that, hey, God truly is loving and you know might bring him back to the truth or, or such. So this does make me want to ask some questions here. Does going to a fake wedding and getting a gift that, say, the son can construe as a wedding gift actually show love? So that's the real question, because I don't want to doubt for a minute 
that Dr. Begg, in the advice he gave, was in any way being disingenuous. He was being genuine. He was being loving. He's dealing with a very difficult question. And this is where I'd like to address the critics here. How often are some of his critics having to deal with pastoral situations like this where you're dealing with what Begg refers to as the fine line and the relationship problem? Because I know Begg's trying to make sure that he wouldn't be to blame for basically telling this woman to do something that could end up making her son cut her off. And then she could turn around and say, Pastor Begg, you told me to do this and now look what happened my son has cut me off forever because i followed your advice and and now you know it's your fault like we really have to understand just how difficult it is i want to get us to think it's not easy being a pastor in 2023 or 2024 and having to deal with clown world situations It's not easy to try to figure out, you know, because people are depending on you to give magical golden words of advice that if you just do this, everything will be great. This woman is desperately in a a lot of us Christians. We probably we've heard about these type of situations, but a lot of us have probably not been in such a situation where our own children are doing something that we would understand biblically is an absolute abomination. But there also are children, and we don't, you know, we want to handle it with grace, but at the same time, handle it with truth. And this woman's desperate. She's crying out to a pastor who has had a solid ministry and decades of pastoral advice. I don't want to discount just how incredibly difficult this is. And Dr. Begg, I'm sure he didn't shoot from the hip here. He had to think this through. This was a letter he addressed. It wasn't a call into a show in which he had to respond immediately. He had to stew on this and try to figure out how to give advice. And he's going to explain the motivation later as to why he gave the controversial advice that he did. But back to my original question to Dr. Begg, does going to a fake wedding and giving a gift and getting a gift that the son and his uh, alleged spouse could construe as a wedding gift, does that actually show love? Is this the means by which this lady would show love to her son? That's the question at hand. Will a so-called transgender wedding ultimately hurt the grandson? Because I think that this woman recognizes it's not just that she has an opinion that the son is doing something, you know, like, oh, I don't I just don't like the opinion of this. She realizes that this type of thing is not built to last. It could harm him, whether physically or emotionally, not to mention spiritually and ultimately eternally, if he doesn't repent of this. So that's the big concern here. So if recognizing that this so-called wedding could be the means by which her son gets hurt, how does that factor into the advice about how she should treat this? Parents, we, you know, I'm a parent of four children. I will recognize that education for children in the straight and narrow way can happen in different ways. Sometimes you've got to 
say something and this could really hurt you. So it's better that you never get hurt. You need to obey my words such that, for example, if there was a car coming and you're trying to tell your child, get off the street right now. If they didn't obey your words, you want to run up and grab them and pull them away from danger. Like say the driver doesn't see what they're doing. So in that case, it's like my greatest love is expressed in the fact that for your sake, you need to obey what I'm saying or I'm going to pull you away from danger. Other things might be less so, like some levels of pain or harm can be the best forms of education where a child insists on disobeying parents and the result is their own self-inflicted form of corporal punishment, getting your finger a little bit burned, whatever, where it's like it's just enough to teach them, sorry, I tried to warn you. Now you know better next time and you realize now that when I told you not to do it, it's because I loved you and I told it to you in a loving way. But now you realize that when I tell you not to do stuff, it's not because I'm trying to burst your bubble. It's not because I'm trying to deny you fun. It's because I understand what the consequences of this are. And so you need to realize that when you obey my instructions, it's for your benefit and it's because I love you, not because I'm trying to be someone who destroys your party. So some levels of pain or harm could be the best form of education for children who are disobeying, but the children should always know that their parents never affirm rebellion against them, or especially against God. So in this case, would it really be proper advice to tell the woman to attend the wedding if she has to explain that this is not a wedding and because it's destructive and against God and his ways? Perhaps not. So I would definitely say there are a lot of critics who have told Dr. Begg that this is really bad advice that he gave this woman. And of course, I would concur that I would suggest to him, of course, I don't think Dr. Begg would happen to find and listen to this episode of Truth Espresso. So I'm really talking to people who would either defend or criticize what Dr. Begg said to this woman here. I'm talking to you all when I'm addressing Dr. Begg here. Yes, I concur. This was bad advice. In fact, this was horrible advice. And I would hope, I know Dr. Bag is the type of character of a man that he thinks deeply about things and that as this controversy continues to rage on and he's facing having people take a break from him or dismiss him and stuff like that, that he would seriously think through deeply and uh, multiple times. Like, was this really the advice I should have told this woman? The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ, truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Christianpodcastcommunity.org.
one stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. Now, nothing in what has transpired so far in this controversy should lead anyone to believe that Alistair Begg is okay with so-called transgender marriages. He made that clear. Let no one accuse him of in any way being LGBTQIA+, whatever letters you want to add, affirmative. He is against all of that. Nothing that has happened so far should cause sound Christians who have been blessed by Begg's ministry to resort to cancel culture. Now, a lot of us Christians have been at the receiving end of cancel culture. Cancel culture, a lot of people can be quickly and easily offended, and they have a power trip where they feel like, oh, you offended me. You said something I didn't want to hear. Canceled as if they're wielding the power of the universe to say that someone's canceled and just like, oh, you're dead to me. You know, like Kevin O'Leary in uh, Shark Tank, you're dead to me. You know, like you could just snap fingers, push a button and say, you're canceled. Look at the power that I wield now in this keyboard warrior internet age. But nothing that has happened in this controversy should cause Christians who are sound in the faith to resort to cancel culture on Alistair Begg. We want his ministry to continue. We want people to be blessed by his ministry. We want to hold him in high regard. We want to recognize that he's done more for Christ than most of us would ever do in our lives. And so we should recognize that he's someone who's honorable and who deserves our respect. And even if we do give him criticism that is well-deserved, it should be loving, cautious criticism that includes respect for who he is, what he has done, how God has used him, and that he can continue ministry and just might need some correction in this regard. He gave bad advice. He needs to recognize that. So as a point of clarification, when we're talking about transgender weddings, Begg is thinking in terms of pastoral ministry, pastoral counsel. But the authority of what we need to tell people is based on Scripture, and he is a man of Scripture. But we need to realize also When it comes to certain issues, how important they are, and that reflects how we are to treat people with these issues. So we know, and Dr. Begg, of course, knows that in the scriptures, marriage is clearly defined. We see a definition of marriage in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6 where Jesus was answering a question about the boundaries of marriage. Now, the question was about divorce, but Jesus is defining marriage in his reply. So, Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6, it says, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? 
and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So we have here Jesus answering a question, and even his disciples struggled with this. But Jesus considered it important to answer the question about divorce or the boundaries of marriage with a definition of marriage. So if there's any question of what to do with addressing someone's errant opinion about marriage, we start with the basis of Scripture and understanding just how important it is that God himself designed marriage and Jesus himself defined it in answer to a question, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And for the cause that God created the male and female, a man leaves father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and those two shall be one flesh. This is important. As we see in Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul, in telling husbands and wives how they should treat each other, especially how husbands should treat their wives, as Christ loved the church, he quotes from Genesis chapter 2 that Jesus is also quoting about a man leaving father and mother cleaving to his wife and they too being one flesh, that this is a great mystery, but he speaks concerning Christ and the church. Marriage is defined in the Bible as absolutely fundamental. It carries the very meaning of salvation. It's a creation ordinance for all time, and salvation is communicated through it. Christ and the church, the very death of Christ, the whole message and meaning of salvation is communicated through marriage. And so the ordinance of marriage from the Bible is something that we need to defend with every fiber of our being. So another question that I would hypothetically ask Dr. Begg, what about other ordinances? Would uh, Alistair Begg counsel someone to attend a quote-unquote baptism from an occultic organization in which someone recites an oath to Mephistopheles and sprinkles or dunks someone in hog blood? Would that be how someone would show love to someone who's caught up in an occult in which this is like kind of a mockery of Christian baptism? Or how about an occultic church in which there is a mock communion event in which people are eating raw human flesh and drinking blood as they claim they're sacrificing Jesus Christ to his destruction and they're claiming victory over him? Now, I would expect him to say, no, of course not. I think I would kind of not attend or counsel someone to attend that. Now, I'm not trying to be obtuse here because what I'm trying to say is that these are ordinances that God established and because they carry meaning, they communicate about Jesus Christ and who he is and that if there's a mockery of an ordinance that God has set up in Scripture, it does no one any good to do anything that could even confuse someone about affirming it. Well, what about, you might say, Daniel, this is different. A transgender wedding, yeah, it's wrong and all, but it's still a a celebration and it's still, it's a party and it's, it's a good time and we're celebrating people being happy and stuff. Like, how does that compare to what you're talking about with occultic ordinances? 
Well, a so-called transgender wedding isn't a cheap imitation. God designed marriage to be a man and a woman because he created the male and female. And we need to recognize that when you have things that profane that, it's not just a cheap imitation, it's a satanic mockery. And so I I would hope that Dr. Begg would really seriously think through just how horrible this is. This isn't just a cultural thing. A so-called transgender wedding is a satanic opposition and mockery of the real thing. Now, after uh, Alistair Begg's September interview became the talk of the Internet Town Square four months later, several things happened. Dr. Begg addressed the criticism he was receiving in a sermon broadcast on his Truth for Life program on Sunday, January 8th, 2024. So this is over almost five months later. But because the controversy over this was happening just days before this. And in his sermon, he doubled down on the counsel that he gave And because of this, ministries that are associated with Dr. Begg and his Truth For Life program had to figure out what to do. The American Family Radio Network of podcasts, of which Truth For Life was a member, removed Truth For Life from their show listing. Later, the Reformation Network, which is a network associated with Legionnaire Ministries, begun by the late R.C. Sproul, they dropped Truth For Life from their listing. And also, Dr. Begg was a scheduled speaker for the 2024 Shepherds Conference this March that Dr. John MacArthur organizes. And people were wondering, even as I was uh, gathering some notes for this episode, at the time people were wondering, what about the Shepherds Conference? Is he still going to be a speaker? He's in the lineup there. But I just researched and found that after having a good conversation, both ministries, uh, Dr. MacArthur's and Dr. Begg's, agreed that it would be what they called an unnecessary distraction to have Alistair Begg as a speaker because of the, the controversy going on. And so they mutually and cordially agreed to drop Begg from the lineup of speakers. So what did Dr. Begg say in his sermon in which he doubled down. So this was called Compassion versus Condemnation. So it was his sermon on Sunday, January 28th, 2024, on uh, Truth for Life. And Dr. Begg used the parable of the prodigal son to explain how we should show grace to the wavered son. Okay, great. And When you listen to him, you could see his genuineness, his heart, and his compassion for wanting to see people turn around from their rebellion and come back from the fold. And he's talking about how we should, like the father there in the parable, be ready and willing to embrace the wayward son coming back. And he seemingly compared his critics to that of the older brother there who was kind of upset the way his father was graciously treating his son. And so these critics, like the older brother, would claim to be always faithful to the father and refuse to show grace to the returning son. Now, I understand what he's saying here. 
but I think it's not a good understanding or interpretation or application of the parable of the prodigal son. I don't think Begg's use of the message of the prodigal son really holds up to what he's trying to say here about this controversy. We know that the prodigal son would legally get one-third of the inheritance according to the firstborn inheritance law in Israel, So the father wasn't in any way affirming anything when he gave his son the money. The son was already entitled to this money. Now, he would normally receive it when the father died, and the father knew that, okay, the son was possibly being greedy or whatever for wanting the money now, but the father wasn't specifically affirming anything. We don't know for sure from this parable if the father knew what his younger son would do with that money. We can speculate, just as when the son demands his portion of the goods that fall to him, you know, as I've heard preached before, it's like the son was telling his father, I wish you were dead. So this had to break the father's heart. But we can only speculate about what the father might have thought about what his son would do with his money. It's not spelled out. When the prodigal son wasted his money, the father hoped his son would come back, but he didn't seek to attend any illicit events his son may have joined. He didn't give his son a greeting card calling to bless him in any illicit relationship he may have had. He didn't send a gift that would affirm any kind of wrong relationship his son might have had when he was spending his inheritance. Like, hey, while you're disobeying God's law in this relationship, here's a book for you and your spouse called The Love Dare. And here's also a gift card so that you and your spouse could go out to Olive Garden. (laughs) I know that's anachronistic, but yeah. The father is not affirming the son in any rebellious activity, and he's not showing love to his son by saying, oh, you're doing this? Well, you know I strongly disagree with that, but here, let me attend the event and let me give you something that people would normally give in the real thing, like a wedding gift, as long as you realize that I'm not in any way affirming this. But I want to catch you off guard with my love for you by doing this. Now, Dr. Begg is perfectly correct to understand that rebellious children should know, like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, that parents should await with open arms to welcome them back home. Godly parental love, model after God's love, should be unconditional but it's always truthful. It doesn't do anything that could confuse the rebellious child about what is right or wrong. So I would say that attending the so-called wedding and getting the wedding gift can confuse the son that Christianity could actually affirm that this is a real wedding in some way. I would say that doing so would mislead this son into thinking that, well, if my mother's going to attend this, then what I'm doing must really not be that bad. 
So you could show love by attending other events with the grandson. Hey, if they go to a, an opera or something like that, you could attend that with the grandson. If You can attend events if the event is appropriate. You can participate in it in good conscience. And you can sacrifice and give gifts to your son that aren't related to the so-called wedding. Now, I want to play a clip that Dr. Begg in which he gave context to the specific counsel of this specific event. In that conversation with that grandmother, I was concerned about the well-being of their relationship more than anything else, hence my counsel. Don't misunderstand that in any way at all. If I was in the receiving end of another question about another situation from another person in another time, I may answer absolutely differently. So, Dr. Begg was concerned about the well-being of the relationship, hence the counsel, and don't misunderstand that in any way at all. I would definitely say that is a valid concern. And so, I thank Dr. Begg for, for being clear about that, that this was a particular incident in where he was trying to give counsel to this woman based specifically on that specific situation. And I don't know if the letter in its fullness that she sent to him is available online or whatever. So we've got to give Dr. Begg the benefit of the doubt that there were some specifics there that maybe he hasn't said that influenced some of his counsel there. And we shouldn't be so flippant to just tell someone something because we're not a relative we wouldn't want to say something to them that's quick and dismissive and callous to the well-being of the relationship. So anyone who's criticizing Dr. Begg, please consider how difficult this was. Please consider how he wanted to make sure that he was concerned he wouldn't tell her something that could end up traumatizing her for the rest of her life, causing her son to cut her off, you know, whatever. There's a specific context to why he gave the specific advice, and he did say that other situations, you know, he, he might not have given similar advice. So, do I believe the advice he gave the woman was wrong? Yes. You know, could you even say it was egregiously wrong? Yes. And hindsight is twenty twenty. But we also, before being quick to just blast him over this, we really need to think, what if I were in these shoes? What if I had the compassionate and caring and pastoral heart that he does? What could I say, keeping these concerns in mind? What he said here is important context, both to understand why Bag said what he did and to understand exactly what was wrong with what he said and also to understand what he did not say and he did not advocate. No one should misunderstand this to be beg somehow advocating or in any way tolerating unbiblical weddings or anything of the kind. How is your flame of truth, Christian? Is it burning bright? 
Hi, I'm Rebecca Bershwinger, creator and host of One Little Candle, a weekly podcast dedicated to encouraging, empowering, and equipping believers to be the light that God has called us to be so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. So join me and light your own little corner of the world. You can listen to One Little Candle on all major podcast platforms or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Okay, now I want to play the next part of the clip on the sermon here. But in that case, I answered in that way, and I would not answer in any other way, no matter what anybody says on the internet as of the last 10 days. If that were the case, I would never— if that were the case, I, would never, I should never have said it in the first place. If people want to, me to recant and to repent. To repent? I, I, I repent daily, because I say a lot of things that I shouldn't say. I mean, check with Sue, but the fact of the matter is, I'm not ready to repent over this. I don't have to. So Dr. Begg says, repent? I repent daily, and I know he's that type of person. Preachers who aren't examining themselves, who think they're so high and mighty, who are always above everyone else, dictating down to them, preaching down them, preaching at them, and not being a person who practices what he preaches, not having an intensely humble self-reflection, being a shepherd like Dr. Bag is, I praise him for that. And we need more people who are like that, who, as they say, repent daily. Now, Dr. Bag says, repent of what? So people who are calling him to repent of basically not recognizing that his counsel was wrong, which I would say, you know, he should, or at least, you know, if you don't want to call it repenting, call it reconsideration, what have you, reflect on what you said and realize that maybe, you know, because I know he's someone who, as he said, I repent daily. He is someone who recognizes that he can say and do things that are not correct. So I sincerely hope that Dr. Begg, as this controversy rages on, continues to think and rethink and rethink about what he said and consider maybe there was a better way to handle this specific incident. I've lived here for 40 years, and those who know me best know that when we talk theology, when we talk stuff, I've always said I am a little bit out of sync with the American evangelical world for this reason, that I am the product of British evangelicalism, represented by John Stott, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Eric Alexander, Sinclair Ferguson, Derek Prime. I am a product of that. I have never been a product of American fundamentalism. I come from a world in which it is possible for people to actually grasp the fact that there are nuances in things. Those of you who are lawyers understand this. Everything is not so categorically clear that if you put one foot out of this box, you've got to be removed from the box forever. There are right ways and there are wrong ways to handle a rebellious lifestyle. And I want us to understand that there is a spectrum. I know I don't like to use that word because it's often used to refer to the whole gender issue, but I want to say there's a whole spectrum of responses to this controversy. 
On one extreme, we could be like Westboro Baptist Church or Pastor Stephen L. Anderson of Faithful Word Baptist Church and say that God hates, you know, this woman's son or that government must execute them right now. However, this is not what the typical American evangelical critic is saying. I know Dr. Begg, as a Scotsman, seems to have some kind of opinion about what American evangelicalism is like. And yeah, the the stereotype of that could be like just calloused, hard-nosed shouting and pulpit pounding that doesn't understand that the pastoral concerns of people in difficult, painful situations. But... I hope he could realize that there are people who are concerned with what he said, who can criticize what he said, who really want him to rethink what he said, who can also be loving, who also are his friend, who would also consider him a faithful, godly minister of the word and want him to recognize that he really should rethink this. So on one extreme, you can have the Westboro Baptist Church and Stephen Anderson type people. On the other extreme, we could be like the liberals and act as if there really is nothing wrong with such so-called marriages. And of course, I want to make sure that some of his critics, some of Begg's critics know that, of course, this is not at all what Alistair Begg is proposing. Alistair Begg is not a liberal on the doctrine of marriage. What are we talking about here? What is the issue at hand? What's the controversy about? It's not about Dr. Begg being LGBTQIA plus affirming or advocating or anything like that. It's not about him being a liberal. It's about bad counseling advice, period. Now, does the Bible talk about how to handle problems with marriages or relationships that are not biblical. Well, we have an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, where the Apostle Paul talks about someone in the Corinthian church that was doing something that even the pagan Gentiles, you don't really hear about them doing such things, that a, a man has a relationship with his father's wife, or most likely his stepmother, and he tells the church there in the name of Jesus Christ, to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So if we're to make application to this son doing a transgender wedding, rather than attending the wedding and giving a gift, basically, in the name of Jesus Christ, you might have to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. Now, I don't know whether the son of this woman in any way, historically or whatever, claims to be a Christian and has rebelled from the faith, but rather than attending the wedding and getting a gift, the Apostle Paul tells, deliver the person to Satan. I think that just means like, okay, if you insist on this, you know where I stand, you know that I love you, but you know that I cannot participate in this. Don't mistake my absence for a hatred of you. You know that nothing you do would make me not love you but I can't participate, and I really hope and pray, 
as I will try to say lovingly, that I pray that God leads you away from this. But if you insist on going down this road, I can't stop you. So all I could do is say, if you must go ahead and do what you're going to do, this is going to hurt you. And that grieves my soul because you know how much I love you. So I will be waiting here with open arms once you realize just how much this is going to destroy you. I know you don't agree with me with that, but you know what my position is, and you know, and I want you to understand, that even if I strongly disagree with you and I can't participate, I cannot attend, I cannot affirm what you're doing, you realize that the reason I'm doing this is love for you, just as if I would tell you not to put your finger on a hot stove. That's the kind of love I'm doing this. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You don't have to be nasty about it. You can say it in a loving way as well you should. Loving someone does not have to be attending a fake wedding and getting a wedding gift. So as we're clear about that, please understand what I'm saying. And please, if you take anything away from this, recognize that we can rightfully criticize Beg and we can criticize him in the kind of loving way that maybe he could be wrong about what he calls so-called American evangelicalism. Please understand that this whole controversy isn't about a heretic or an apostate. Alistair Begg is a wonderful preacher and man of God who is trying to give good pastoral advice, and he gave bad advice, egregiously bad advice. This controversy is not about someone who has embraced unorthodox or heterodox doctrine. Alistair Begg believes in Christian marriage, and so he doesn't embrace that wrong view of marriage as legitimate. It's not about someone who ultimately has damaged his ministry forever. I would say if Dr. Begg shows a willingness to listen to criticism and think hard about the counsel he gave and admit that it might not have been wise at the time, you know, as he said, I repent daily, the impact of this controversy could be minimal and it will fade with time. If Begg continues to dig in his heels, this counsel will continue And this controversy will continue to be a thorn in his side longer, but I'm sure its effects will gradually fade, but there will always be a little bit that's still there. His ministry will continue, and it will continue to affect people's lives positively for Christ otherwise, but some people will refuse to forget if he doesn't change his mind, and once he finds himself in a future situation where he gives bad advice like this again, the damage will likely be even greater. So I would beg, Dr. Beg, seriously to consider this, really seriously, from a brother in Christ who admires him and criticizes him and is, you know, not really even worthy to criticize him, but really, you know, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you know, a donkey, God can use a donkey to tell truth. So, I and others like me want to 
give him helpful criticism in a loving way. Now, to conclude this episode, I love what Samuel Say said on the Christian Post on January 22nd. He did criticize Dr. Bag, but he did it in the right way and a loving way. He criticized Bag's counsel while also showing him the respect that he has earned. And he said in his article, quote, It's not loving to attend a gay wedding, and it's not loving to cancel Alistair Bag." unquote. So I think that's definitely the balanced way to look at this controversy. To say, Dr. Begg, it is not the loving thing to do to tell this woman to attend the wedding. That is not how you express love. But it's also not loving on the behalf of some people who are criticizing to just resort to cancel culture. Samuel Say also concluded the article with, quote, Alistair Begg will give an account to God over what he says about Christians attending gay weddings, and we'll also give an account to God over what we say about him, unquote. And to that, I say amen. Do not be quick to resort to cancel cults, or do not be quick to cancel someone as faithful a servant of Christ as Dr. Alistair Begg. Christian discernment is to recognize when someone can say and give bad advice, but it is not loving at all to be all puffed up and self-conceited and self-righteous as to cancel someone like him. That would not be the Christ-like thing to do. And so, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Truth Espresso, and if you've listened to this episode and been involved in the controversy over Dr. Begg's counsel in this regard, I hope this was food for thought. I hope if you've been quick to cancel him, that you would rethink that and think of the most loving Christian way to handle this. You could be critical in a loving Christ-like way and respectful and recognize that God still uses this man and can use him, but to hope that he changes his mind and reconsiders. And I also hope that for those who are critical of the critics in such a way that if you're wishy-washy on what a wedding is, what a marriage is according to the Bible, that you would understand the truth. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso and God Bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.